Well, good morning, and uh, let's turn to our Bible reading. Let's turn to God's Word in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're going to read the first five verses. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. So today, what we're going to think about um, is the results of being justified. And as we do that, we're following Paul's very logical mind as he presents this. If you've been with us all the way through our studies in Romans, you'll know that he starts off by talking about the reasons why we need to be justified because of our sin before God. And then he moved on to how we can be justified. We can be justified not by our works or by the law, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. And now he reaches the point of talking about the results What follows on from being justified? Let's just be clear about what being justified means at the outset. Uh, When he talks about that, what he's talking about is the fact that God declares the person who has placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as being righteous in his presence. That's what being justified uh, actually means. And, And their status... That person who has faith in Christ, their status and their standing is changed before God. And, and we know in natural life that, that status is important. I mean, if you are a, an Afghan refugee and uh, you don't have the right papers, yeah, you weren't getting out of the country. But if, if you got a, a British passport or you got the right documentation... And your status changed. Well, that opened the door for so many things. As far as you were concerned, you could leave the country. You had access to things within this country because your status, a pronouncement had been made and it changed things. The results were different. And that is exactly, God looks down and he knows those who are his. God knows the people who trust in Christ. And he changes their status And all the righteousness of Christ is credited to their account. And that's how God looks on the person who has faith in Christ. Now let's just be be clear about, about this whole idea of justification. Justification does not mean, does not mean that automatically in one fell swoop that I am made into a more righteous person as far as my daily living is concerned. Now, if you think about it, in Rome, there would have been people who responded to the gospel out of a whole variety of different lifestyles, 
and they automatically did not become overnight paragons of virtue. There is another word in the book of Romans that does refer to people who progress in righteousness and who grow and who mature and who develop and it shows in the way they live their life. And that word is called sanctification. And if you want to see that, you'll find that in chapter 6, verse 19. It's where that word comes up. Justification is about the declaration, the pronouncement that God makes as far as my status, my position is concerned. Sanctification has to do with the real, actual process of living that out uh, in our lives. Now, on its own, the whole idea of justification would be wonderful. If we really just grasped that, and if we felt that we really, we really possessed that, that we were in the good of that, that that applied to me, that God pronounced me righteous, that all the righteousness of Christ has been credited to my account. I mean, that's a wonderful thing on its own. And I trust that all of us have that and enjoy that. But what this passage is teaching us is that there are other benefits There are other blessings for those who have been justified. There are other results of justification. And uh, there are three of them. Here they are. Three of them in this passage that we're going to think about today. The first one, just since we have been justified by faith, what? We have peace with God. The second one is that we have access into this grace. In which we now stand. And the third one. Is that we have hope. In the glory of God. So let's just look at them one at a time. Peace with God. Um, And making that point. What he's really saying is this. That we need to understand. That outside of Christ. Being unconverted. Not being a Christian. Means that we are not. At peace with God. That in fact we are hostile to God. In fact we are at war with God. We are enemies of God. It's only at the point of faith in Christ that peace with God is made. I mean there are several scriptures that substantiate this point. If you wanted to turn to James chapter 4 verse 4. It says there that friendship with the world... Is enmity with God. It's hostility towards God. If I love the world and its ways and its values, then then actually I'm an enemy of God. And our world is at war with God and God's values. The very existence of God is attacked in our society. The majority of people hearing what Russell said in his introduction, singing with us that hymn about how great thou art when I see the stars and, 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 the, and the scenery and everything around us and we attribute it to God the creator, that is being attacked. This very teaching of justification by faith in Christ alone is being attacked. The person of Christ, the fact that he is the exclusive only saviour of the world is attacked. We are at war with God and with his book and with his values and with his son and with his great redemption and the gospel that we proclaim 
Our world is not at peace with God. It's at war. And that culminated in the crucifixion of Christ, God's Son, at the cross. That's, that's our world statement and what it thinks about Christ. They crucified him. They parried him, parried him as a king with a crown of thorns. And they mocked him. And they vilified him. And they were hostile, not just against him in a physical way, but, but everything that he stood for, they were against and they put him on a cross. And our world would do the same thing again. And maybe I would do the same thing again. And you would too, if you're not at peace with God. And there is a principle that lies within me. If you turn to Romans 7.23, it tells you that. That there, there, there is something that is within me, my sinful nature, and it wages war against the law of God. Wages war against God in my mind. But there can be peace with God. That's the, that's the wonderful message of God's word. Peace, the war can be over. Normally when, when you say that kind of thing, you're asking the enemy to, to lay down their arms. You're asking them to surrender, to raise the white flag, to, to sign the document. The war is over. I mean, the wonderful thing about peace with God is that it was God, the offended party, who has done something about peace. That war that started back in Eden with the rebellion of our forefathers, another concept that is attacked, of course, in our world. And the fact that the rebellion and the revolt and the rejection of God has carried on all the way down, and yet God in his love has come in the person of his son to make peace, Colossians chapter 1, through the blood of his cross. That's how peace can be made. You know, the Bible talks about peace in in a couple of different ways. It talks about peace with God, and then it talks about the peace of God, which passes all understanding, which can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But to experience that, you have to come into the good of the peace of God. Peace with God, rather, in this sense that we read it. To be reconciled to him. Did you notice? Well, you wouldn't have because we didn't read it. But further down, if you look at verse 11 of our passage, it talks about that we have now received the reconciliation. I mean, that is what peace with God is. To be reconciled to God. Rather than being at a distance, to be brought near to him so i mean the message and the challenge for our world for ourselves is this don't continue to be in a in a state of hostility don't continue to be an enemy of god or of the cross of christ the book of revelation chapter 19 paints a picture of the lord jesus christ in a coming day and that the image it portrays and the message it is conveying is of the king of kings And the Lord of Lords, riding on a white horse at the head of the armies of heaven, coming out of God's presence down to this earth, with that name written on his thigh and upon his vesture. And he's coming to demonstrate the wrath of the Lamb 
Seems like a paradox, a lamb. The wrath of the lamb against the enemies of God who still hold out in the hostility of their mind and rejection and in rebellion against the things of God. That is reality. That's what the Bible talks about. Let us not be on that side of the Lamb where his wrath is going to be revealed against us. Peace with God. But that's not all. The second one is this. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace grace in which we stand access I mean the majority of the Bible emphasizes distance and separation with God because of our sin the whole construction of the tabernacle worship system was to to, to let people understand that message they were different from God they couldn't approach God because of their failures and because of God's holiness and the way was barred at so many points and so many turns and yet now in the gospel rather than isolation and being excluded there is access what a benefit what a result of being justified to to be welcomed and beckoned into God's presence to come near to him and the Lord Jesus is the way to God he is the door the exclusive and only door to God through me if anyone enters in they'll be saved and of course he he can be the only way because of his uniqueness he is the only savior who is 100% human and 100% divine and he can be that mediator that bridge between God and men and so he is the access to God and we remind ourselves as Christians that we have that new living way We don't feel reluctant. We don't feel excluded. But welcomed and embraced into God's presence. Access into this grace. And so there's a door that's opened into a a completely new environment that I'm standing in now. I'm standing uh, in an environment that is characterized by the principle of grace. God's unmerited favor. God's kindness that I don't deserve and yet has been lavished upon me that's the, that's the environment that I live now in now that I have been justified that's the principle that, that, um, that holds good as far as my life is concerned that where sin abounds chapter 7 well grace abounds even more and God's grace is given to me no wonder it's called amazing grace no wonder it's called Um, wonderful grace in some of the hymns that we sing it's a tremendous thing to know that although I have sinned greatly that God's grace supersedes that and his favor has been given to me in Christ one of the great Bible examples of this of course is the story the incident of David and Mephibosheth back in the book of Kings Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, the great enemy of David. And Saul and David said one day, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? Can I show grace to them? And he said, well, there's this crippled boy and he lives in a dump of a place down in a wasteland called Debar, which means a place of no pasture. And David went and, and sent for him and 
Here he was in trepidation, thinking that you know the new king was going to just clean away all the the, the, the ancestry of, of of Saul, the enemy, and establishing his new dynasty. And he does nothing of the nothing of the sort. He brings the boy up, and he sits him at the king's table, and he says, "Your status has changed." I'm making this pronouncement. You're just going to be like one of the king's sons. And that's what grace is. It seats us at the king's table, even when we don't deserve it. That's the access that we have into this grace in which we stand. It's not slippery slopes. It's not uneven ground. It's not unstable. We stand secure, definite, confident in this environment of grace, the grace of God that we now have access to. And that's the second, the second result of being justified by God's grace. Let's come to the third one. The third one is this. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That word rejoice is the same word as boast. You remember last chapter, previous chapter, we're, we're, we're saying you know, boasting should be excluded. Well, here is something that we can boast in. We don't boast and have confidence in ourselves, but, but we boast and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Because we are justified, we have this hope. And of course, we, we remind ourselves that the way that the Bible uses the word hope is that it's a certainty, but it's just in the future, as far as we are concerned. But it's, it's definite. Nothing will alter it. Nothing can change that. That's what Bible hope is. Confidence in the future that God has promised to us. And the future, of course, that's being talked about here, is, is, is the glory of God. Man, that's a wonderful thing. That, that we will experience, those of us who are justified, that we will experience seeing the glory of God. I mean, Moses never saw that. Remember, he said, show me your face. Show me you in all your, your splendor. You can't, you can't look on me and live. Here's a place on the rock. I'll pass by you. You'll just see a part of me. But for the believer to experience seeing God in all his glory one day, I mean, the disciples saw something of the moral glory of Christ. I mean, John wrote about that, didn't he, in his gospel. We, we saw his glory. You know, we were there when he changed the water into wine. And it says, you know, this first miracle he did and he, he manifested his glory. It was, it was a glorious thing. All these things we saw about Christ, they were glorious. When we were on the mountain and his face changed and it was almost as if the curtain was pulled aside and... It was wonderful, the glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. The death of Christ is glorious, but I mean, for us one day, stepping out of this world into the next, or when the Lord returns, to experience the glory of God himself. And, and Jesus prayed for that. You read about that in John 17. He says, you know, those who, who, who are going to believe in me, I, I want them to see my glory. One day. The glory that I had with you before this world existed. And, and you know that prayer will be answered. And we will see that glory of Christ. Which has been described in some terms in our 
book of Revelation. But to actually see that and be part of that world where there's no evil or wickedness, where there's no injustice, where there's no illness and sickness, disappointment, sadness. But the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. And, and, and to, to be there is the wonderful hope of the child of God who has been justified by faith. But there is something else that's mentioned about hope. It's what, what I've called the circle of hope. Now, follow with me and you'll see what I mean by that. Because he then comes into a sentence here. Um, in verse number 3. When he says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And at the end of that sentence... He comes back at the end of the verse to hope again. So it's the circle of hope. And he says this, even when there is difficulty in life. And of course he's not being flippant. He's not, he's not minimizing the difficulties and the problems and the tragedies that people go through. But he is, he's talking about a reality. This is the result of being justified. For someone who's justified, they have hope even during suffering. And, and here is why. Because when we suffer, we know that that suffering produces endurance. We can understand that. That we endure. And that builds that perseverance into, into our lives. And then the next step is that that endurance in turn produces character. Now what that actually means is this. It, it, it's talking about tested and proven character. It's like First Peter chapter 1 where it talks about the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold even although it is tried by fire in the, in the crucible. Refinement. It's a bit like the opposite of the parable of the sower. You know, the, the seed is put into the, the shallow ground and it shoots up immediately and you think it's the real thing. And then the troubles come and the sufferings come and the difficulties come. And Jesus said, it shriveled up, it died away, it fell down. And when the, when the test was applied, it was shown not to be genuine, not to be real. No faith at all. But what he's saying here is this. When endurance comes after suffering. And then that endurance produces character. In your case. What that character is. Is real. It's proven to be genuine. And tested. And when you see that. And that happens in your life. What does that do? The circle is complete. It produces hope. Produces hope in you. I must be. I must have it. I must be a child of God. If this is how I look at life. And this is what it does to me. And so even in difficulty. What he does. Is he says hope is there. Hope is there. As the result of being justified. By faith. And he says verse 5. 
This hope does not put us to shame. Or it will never disappoint us. Hey, plenty in life that will disappoint us. Is that not true? You've all known that. Plenty circumstances. Plenty people who have disappointed you in life. Here is a law. Here is a spiritual law that will always hold true. You can bank on this. This will never disappoint us. Christ will never disappoint us. He will never let us get down. If you put your hope in Christ, he will never fail you. Although there might be difficulties and struggles, when you come to Christ and his promises and his word and his teaching and the gospel and the effects of his death and his resurrection, you stand four square on that and as Russell was saying to us, saying that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And that will never be a disappointment for you. I can say that categorically, without a shadow of a doubt today. So there we have it. These are the wonderful results of being justified by faith. And uh, so the question, of course, is, do we have that? Or am I justified by faith? And therefore, can I enjoy these benefits, these blessings that are here? Look at, look at how he, uh, he finishes off the section. He says, this hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love. God's love for you. God God has shown his love for the person who knows Christ, not just in a, in a, a minimal way, but he has poured out his love into our hearts. God gives the child of God, the justified person, his spirit. God, by his very spirit, now lives within us. God in all his fullness. We mustn't think of the Holy Spirit as being like fluid, liquid, and you can have a part of, and then you can be topped up. He is a person. When you receive a person, you receive a person in his entirety. And God's Spirit is given to us. And when we have God's Spirit, he teaches us about the love of God for me as an individual. What tremendous benefits, what wonderful results for those who are justified. Let's, those of us who are in that position, take these things to heart, think about them, turn them over in our minds, enjoy these things this week. If you're not justified, if you're not declared righteous at all, that's something really that you need to address today. May God bless his word. Lord, we pray your word will be blessed to all our hearts. What a wonderful thing to be able to speak about today. And we therefore think about these wonderful truths of peace with God. The wonderful truth of access into this grace in which we stand. And the hope of the glory of God. Lord, may these things burn within our hearts and challenge us or encourage us. And we pray a blessing on your people today through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.